Hi, true crime family, and welcome to Bad Human, a true crime podcast where we discuss those humans who reside at the bottom of the morality bell curve. I am your host, K-Mac. And I am the answer. And today, it was going to almost just be K-Mac, as the answer was close to meeting his maker with the garage door. Well, also thank the maker for sensors so that the garage door would not go down. It was an accident, and that's what I would tell Oxygen and Snapped. That's what we say, accident. Yes, I made quote marks. Today, I have one for you that is potentially one of the wildest love triangles not even triangle, square, I have ever heard about. This has cheating, heroin abuse, murder, potential cannibalism, and serial killers. That's like touching Gang every is base. all that's like, here. That's like a starting five for a basketball team. I would right never there. let you or the people down. This one may end up being a two-parter when I was researching and going through my script with our dog, Charlotte who was an amazing audience today between licking herself and barking at the kids who were laughing and enjoying life. Nails on a chalkboard as children laughter to her. Anyone who knows our dog knows the sound of children laughing literally makes her lips curl. There is really no easy way to ease into this, so we're just going to get after it. Let's do it. All right, let's go, honey. Before we begin, our thoughts go out to the family of Chris Reagan, who was the victim of this horrible crime. There is another victim who is basically a piece of shit, which gets no sympathy, which will make sense later. Interesting. Coming from you. So this is intriguing. Trigger warning. Yeah. One of the biggest Mm -hmm, empaths on mm -hmm, the planet. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This guy can suck it. Trigger warning. This does contain sexual violence, mutilation of a corpse and drug abuse. There we go. Trifecta. For our second episode, we are going to stay in the Midwest northern area of the United States. And today we are visiting the beautiful states of Michigan and Indiana. Lovely states connected. (laughs) Well, they are, right? (laughs) Somebody does really well in geography. Well, the way you laughed at first, I was thinking, like, did I I mix it up with Iowa? (laughs) I was like, no, I don't. No, I swear I didn't. But okay. On October 24th, (laughs) 2014, Terry O'Donnell went to the police station when her ex, and they were still on friendly terms, very mature, Christopher Reagan was not responding to her text or phone calls. Chris's car was found abandoned just outside of town, but he was nowhere to be found. It would be two years later when Chris's partial remains would be located and identified only via dental records. Police would later find out that Chris was lured to his death by the promise of sex, where he would be murdered, chopped to pieces, sprinkled across a forest, and potentially served at a barbecue. He would, however, not be the only victim of this heartless killer. Another man would lose his life just years later, who who gives a shit, and would end up with a black widow on the run from the law. Today, answer, we are discussing the case of Kelly Cochran, the devil woman of Michigan. 
you know, Michigan doesn't seem to get a bad rap for anything, so I'm really intrigued to see how this is For the record, go. Michigan did not produce her. They were also a victim of her. She moved there. So let me tell you a little oh, bit about Kelly. Sorry, Michigan. Kelly was born June 5th, 1982 in Maryville, Indiana, okay. which is about an hour from Chicago. According to Kelly's mother, during her teenage years, she had run away twice and was put into a girl's home. She had some disciplinary issues. She dabbled in some drugs. Her neighbor was Jason Cochran. Are you sensing okay. a last name? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. Her mom described Jason as the boy next door, whereas Kelly had a clear wild streak and a disdain for the law. Kelly and Jason would end up dating. And after Clark. graduating high school in 2002, Jason and Kelly would get married. So right out of high school. Yep. And on their wedding night, they made one hell of a commitment to each other. They made a pact on their wedding night that they would murder the person if either of them had an affair. Oh, kind of like us. So to be clear, all. they would not kill the spouse that cheated. They would kill the person that they cheated with. So the, the individual that got lured into this web of dysfunction would be the one that got killed, not the spouse that cheated. So technically you could say hate the other person, do that, confess to your loved one, to your spouse that you slept with them so that they get murdered just so that they could do your dirty work for you? You could. That's a lot of strategy. We'll get to some of that later. I'm, I'm impressed that you said that. I, mean, I know for a fact that you don't know this case. And so I'm notes. impressed because that does come into play a little bit later. Okay. People who knew the couple said that Kelly was far more outgoing, whereas Jason was more reserved and quiet. Okay. She was described as nice, outgoing, and easy to be around, which can be characteristics of a really great person mm -hmm. or a psychopath. It's a very blurred line okay, there. Okay, so it's, it's a true-false question. Which, interestingly Airbnb. enough, my manager had referenced a book called Psychopath that I read, and it talks about a lot of people who are in different roles in corporate America have a lot of the same tendencies and behaviors as actual psychopaths. Jason had worked servicing swimming pools for 10 years at a company they had started. They did start their own company. Okay. But this really started to wear on him physically. So they decided it was time to up and move to the UP. God's country. And it's just so beautiful. It is beautiful. There. In February 2014, which anybody who's from anywhere in the Midwest to the North knows February 2014, it's fucking freezing. That's not really an ideal time to relocate. Well, February of any year in the, the UP. The deep thaw hasn't yes. started yeah, yet. Oh my God. You know, you're arm's length away from Canada. You're going to have just cold, bitter weather. Exactly. They were also looking, now the finger, I'm pointing again. I get very animated. They were also looking for a place that had legalized the devil's lettuce. To help with Jason's chronic back pain. For back pain. All right. For back pain. At this time, their marriage had also begun to fall apart. Jason was unable to contribute to the household, perform any tasks. He wasn't able to work. Oh, yeah. And Kelly was carrying a lot of the weight. There was definitely some tension building up in their relationship. Upon relocating to the UP, Iron City to be exact, 
Kelly had gotten a job working in a factory manufacturing naval ship parts. Oh, nice. And here is where she met poor, poor Chris Reagan. Chris was a Detroit native and an Air Force veteran, which thank you, anybody who's listening who has served. He was 20 years older than Kelly, but they hit it off pretty well. Her marriage again of 13 years was a dumpster fire. He was a decent looking older gentleman. They seemed to to hit it off well. Silver Fox. He was also a dad. We're not going to go into a lot of details about the kids. We never do. But one of his older sons does come into the story a bit later. Before his death, Chris had plans to relocate to Asheville, North Carolina for a new job. Literally was moving in two weeks with one of his sons who he had lost contact with, rekindled a connection and his older son was going to move with him to Asheville. Oh boy. Two weeks. If he could have just escaped these monsters for two weeks. Two weeks to a new life, new job. Rekindling a connection with his son. New beginnings. It would not be. On October 13th, 2014, Kelly and Jason were arguing about her affair. Police said that she had told Jason about Chris when Chris had declined a serious relationship with her. And knowing this diabolical pact they had, she knew this would ensure Chris's death. This does, though, contradict other reports I read where they say Jason was well aware of the affair because Kelly had told him he had even followed Kelly to Jason's house. We'll get to the police interrogation later where Jason acknowledges that he knew about Chris. So the timeline is a little blurry as to when Jason found out. Regardless, shit's going down on the 13th at Casa de Cochran, and it's about Chris. When Kelly's husband, Jason, found out about her affair, he asked her a simple question that had unimaginably gruesome consequences. He asked her, how is she going to make up for it? Kelly, remembering the pact she had made on their wedding night, said that she would kill Chris. I'm wondering if he's like, well, I, th- I thought I thought we were joking, honey, about that, oh, but we're actually going to go through with it? Yeah, some, uh, somebody did an LOL after yeah, that marriage yeah. <laughs> No lulls? One person was not lulling. They must not have did it in text form, otherwise it would have been an LOL. True, or an emoji. Or an, emo- yeah, an emoji is yeah. just as good. Although later she claims she couldn't do it, and so Jason had to kill Chris. Oh, how convenient. So first of all, yeah, fuck you, because you bring Chris into the mix. Then you tell your husband, and all of a sudden you have a conscience and you can't mm. kill him? No, absolutely not. How convenient, huh? Jason was satisfied with this answer, and he said he would forgive his wife of 13 years if she lured her lover over to the house with the promise of sex and then allowed her jealous husband to blow her lover's brains out. Oh, how what a love tale. Again, we are two weeks away from Chris being out just, of this disgusting human's toxic vicinity. Being in beautiful North Carolina, two rekindling. Weeks with his son, two weeks. On October Probably 14th, a better job, I'm assuming, too. Yes, he had, he had actually gone back to school to educate himself for this job. And Terry O'Donnell, his ex-girlfriend... Mm-hmm. In interviews, referenced that Chris was very proactive, a a self-starter, continuously bettering himself, and went back to school to get the skills he needed for this job. 
the victim was definitely excited, and so was his son, just uber excited. But you know what they say, unhappy people can't let other people be happy. Oh, that is, okay. She's living with this waste of space. High school sweetheart. Right. And then Sia, (laughs) this lifetime movie network love story of like her high school sweetheart, the neighbor, they got married. And she sees Chris, who's about to leave, start his life. Couldn't do it. Just right off into the sunset. You know? On October 14th, 2014, Chris had planned to spend the night with Kelly. Unaware, she had spent the previous night arguing with her husband about Chris. Knowing that it meant her lover's death, Kelly invited Chris over. Trigger warning. The rest, uh, the rest of this episode's a trigger warning, but this yeah. for sure. Okay. She invited Chris over. And while she was having sex with him, her husband shot him in the head. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Chris was completely speechless. caught off guard mid coitus when Jason emerged from the shadows to execute him at point blank range with a 22 rifle. Wow. I mean, just mid moments later, Kelly and her husband would begin dismembering Chris's body. Kelly later admitted to getting a cord for an electric handsaw known as, what is it again? A Sawzall? Sawzall. Sawzall. What is a Sawzall? It's a, it's a motorized saw, so it goes back and forth really fast. And it has oh, like you cut drywall, dry, blah, drywall. It, yeah, drywall, pipes, a lot of stuff. It can okay, I will never get, use that device. You can get metal, you can get wood blades. I will PVC never. Pipe uh, blades, yep. Never use that. They divided Chris's body. Yeah, you're not getting that for Christmas either. They divided Chris's body into garbage bags and threw the bags into the woods around the Iron River in Michigan's Upper UP. They also dropped his car off somewhere that we'll get to in a minute. You know, sex is fun to have. And to be in just that fun little situation and have your brains blown up. O'Donnell, so Terry O'Donnell, Mm -hmm. the ex-girlfriend, reported Chris missing 10 days later. Mm. Chris and Terry had broken up when he had decided he'd had enough of the UP. He wanted to move. He got the job in Asheville, but they were still on very friendly terms and even had planned to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas together. Terry had spoken to Chris the morning of the 14th, which we find out later is the day that he was murdered. She grew worried and reported him missing when she hadn't heard from him for 10 days straight. Well, I mean, 10 days, but like. He's also getting ready. To yeah, move. he's getting ready to move. I'm sure they're he's not going together anymore. I mean, if he is process of moving, he could be like his phone could be roaming or something like that where he couldn't reach. There's him. a lot going on yeah, that a, he potentially could have been in communicado. A, a lot of variables. But after 10 days, she was very concerned, rightfully so. And marched her ass to the police station. Didn't even call. <laughs> she went to the police station. I knock, love it. Knock, motherfuckers. And here is where we meet Chief Frizzo. I hey. love this woman. That is an amazing name. In the documentary that I watched, Dead North, on Investigation Discovery, she is a key part of that story because she was the police chief during that time. And she is a bad bitch. Nice. In the nicest, most complimentary way possible. <laughs> Terry told Chief Frizzo that her parents were Chris's landlord. So the chief ordered the sergeant on duty 
to take Terry to Chris's place to check it out. Terry also had a set of keys. Mm. A, they can get in because she has the keys. B, her parents own the property. Okay. So they'd be allowed to go in. I was going to say, because I thought most times you can't, you, for a wellness check, you just, you can only knock on the door, right? You can't, the, you can't force your way in or whatever. I think if you have probable cause that you can, typically though, you need to have. Or if a door is open. I think, I don't know all the rules around okay. it, but to your point, but, it's there, there are, like you, you can't just you, as a police officer, just go walk right in. There <laughs> are <laughs> rules. You know. Yeah. So, but you, yeah, you said that they're landlord. So they searched his home. And it was uncharacteristically a mess. And on the ID show, you can see the police body cam. And it's very clear that he was packing to move. The place was disheveled. There were boxes, to-do lists, suitcases. Well, it was two weeks, right? There's no way he was just leaving. It was clear he was preparing to leave. It was definitely, it was obvious that he was getting ready to move. He had also missed a drug test he had scheduled on the 15th which was the final check the box for his new job. I would think that would be suspicious. Very suspicious. Very odd. Both his phone and vehicle were missing, but there were no signs of where he could be. Terry shared with Chief Frizzo she had noticed Chris's car had been parked at a parking ride on the outskirts of Iron City for about the past two weeks. He was known to be obsessed with his vehicle, just like you, where you have to let everyone know you drive a 2016 Forerunner. Oh, look at you remembering. He was obsessed with his car, and he wouldn't have left it there. This was very odd. They went to check out the vehicle, and since it was locked, they couldn't get inside, but they could open the trunk. Before going to the trunk, they noticed in the car, just by peering in, there was a water bottle, a knee brace, and a few other items Terry was adamant Chris would not have left town with. She was super adamant about the knee brace that he would not have left without that. They open the trunk and it's empty. Okay. Initially, that may have been a sigh of relief. Yeah. Because there's no body in the trunk. Some people thought he may have gotten lost in the woods. He had parked at the park and ride, gone for a hike, ended up being a midnight snack for the wildlife that live out there. Yeah, but if he had gone on the hike... He would not have left a knee brace. All that uneven. That's a good point. All that uneven ground and everything. I, you have a bad, a bad leg. You're gonna want to wear the knee brace almost all the time. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Because I don't know anybody out there that has any bad knees. You understand that that if you need a knee brace, you're gonna wear it like ninety percent of the time. Really good point. At that point, the police decided it was time to tow his car back to the forensic lab and take a, a deeper look to see if they could pull fingerprints, any DNA, anything to help them understand if the car had been an actual crime scene. And you can do a lot because this is, what, 2014? Yes. So you can actually find a lot. Pretty advanced at that point. Because we've had, there's other cases that I'm sure have been out there from different moments of time. We'll cover cases that are back from 1974. You know, there is definitely a, huge progression yeah. in forensic and DNA testing. 2014, there, pretty, there were a lot of options. Yeah, it's pretty good. You have CODIS, you have databases. Okay, There's a lot of tools. Don't know what CODIS is, but I continue. <laughs> Horatio Kane will teach you. Watch CSI Miami. Oh. Which, by the way, my dad hates <gasps> Horatio Kane. Any show 
he's a retired police chief. And my dad says any show that you can solve a crime in 43 minutes and two commercial breaks is bullshit. Well, and it's, and it's, and it's always like sperm. It's always just that there's some, some, some form of DNA. Double bag that. Yeah, like, it's if, like, come on. Oh, there just happened to be this on the wall. Moving yeah, I'm on. sure. I'm sure there was. They also checked his credit card and bank activity and saw the last place he had stopped was a gas station at 413 on the 14th. AM or PM or does it specify? PM. PM? Okay. So he stopped for a little Petro before going for this rendezvous. Chief Frizzo reached out to the Michigan State Police for help. And at first they thought Terry was a suspect, the ex-girlfriend. I get it to a point. Mm -hmm. Usually you want to clear those closest to the the victim. He's not a victim yet. The missing person in this case. I feel really bad for this woman when you watch these documentaries. It's so obvious she was in love with him and would never have hurt him. They asked her to take a polygraph test. She refused. Chief Frizzo told the Michigan State Police, this is not your person. You need to move on and stop wasting time on this. Yeah, that seems like wasted time. And I'm also torn about polygraphs. My opinion is don't take it, innocent or not. They're not admissible in court. We've watched so many documentaries where innocent people come off looking shady and shady people psychos end up beating the polygraph. Mm -hmm. I asked my dad about this when they were over last week and my dad said, you should take it. But when have I ever listened to my my dad's advice ever? Interesting. It's up to you. I don't know. To me is I feel you could, you could easily beat it or, they can ask you the right questions and make you seem guilty when you're clearly innocent. Right. Listen, my name's not on the back of a toilet stall as a DUI lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, yeah. so I'm not here to give you advice. Fair enough. But that's just my opinion. Pretty quickly, a rift formed between the Iron River Police and the Michigan State Police because Chief Frizzo was standing her ground like the baddie she is. It's just because her name is Frizzo. That's why she's awesome. A press release was posted online about Chris missing to see if people would post comments or leads. This can be a blessing and a curse. You do get good information. You also get keyboard heroes that think it's funny to submit false leads and just be assholes and distract the resources from actually following up on good leads. Some people had mentioned the name Dale Vassar. He was somebody who had done some drywall work for Chris that apparently Chris wasn't happy with. When they brought Dale in, Dale didn't put even two and two together that Chris was his neighbor or he had done this drywall work. I was going to say nothing worse than getting a bad drywall job. Also, if you're going to kill somebody over some DIY work. Hey, you never know. The chief then reached out to Chris's employer. People said at work that he was smart, a natural leader. And had that strong military background that made him a a really great leader and worker. When he came into the job, there did have a little hostility. There was a little hostility because he came right in and got promoted to a lead role. Some people that had seniority were a little pissed. An HR associate also told police there was a rumor he was seeing another associate who was none other Mm. than married woman... Kelly Cochran. At work, Kelly was described as a hard worker, very outgoing, but it had been shared with an HR leader that Kelly was having issues at home and her husband had threatened to kill Kelly and then commit suicide. This HR associate had even asked her husband 
if they could offer Kelly a spare room at her home, at their home, to get Kelly out of this environment. The husband said, fuck no. <laughs> His spidey sense. Yeah, it was tingling. Let's not invite Satan past the threshold. This is what led police to pay Kelly a visit. It is worth noting, I did read while researching that police had also found a post-it note in Chris's car with the Cochran's address on it. I also read somewhere they had found a post-it note in his apartment with their address. Not sure if either is accurate, figure it's worth noting, mm-hmm. but regardless, we're about to take a road trip yeah. to the Cochran's. When the police arrived at the Cochrane residence, at first, Jason lied and said his wife wasn't home. However, she appeared a minute later. <laughs> that's the sword you're going to die on from the start? That, that's, the, that's where we're going to go with this, Jason. She's not here, I swear to God. You, you know she was behind the corner and heard him say that. I'm about to fuck this guy's story up. <laughs> knock, knock, bitches. <laughs> I'm, I'm I am. She's not here, officer. I'll sit here. And she just of a toilet. walks her happy ass right into the house, right into the room. Well, hi, officers. Police split the two up, which is customary, Smart. and ask Kelly about the affair. And she admitted to having the affair with Reagan. But she claimed that her relationship with her husband was an open marriage. Okay. Except for the wedding pact. Her demeanor was very friendly, and she made it appear that she seemed to genuinely care about Chris. And even made herself a victim by stating, I hope he didn't leave for North Carolina without saying goodbye to me. Oh. You know he didn't leave for North Carolina. Yeah. You You put it in garbage bags. You have the extra hefty bags in the corner that you didn't use. Jason, meanwhile, was very aggravated and agitated. You have Kelly, who's being very sincere, calm, calm, concerned about Chris's well-being. Jason, meanwhile, is grumpy cat, (laughs) who is very aggravated, very agitated. When they brought the two back together... They continued to ask Kelly questions about her infidelity. And Jason just stood there stoically just staring. The reports I read, it was very creepy. Just staring death eyes into everybody. This encounter obviously set off red flags for Chief Frizzo and company. And she asked them to come to the station for an interview. The look of a guilty man, perhaps? I feel like they were probably also voluntold to come to the station. A little bit. A little gentle nudge. (laughs) Hey, get in there. (laughs) Kelly was the first to be interviewed, continuing from her behavior at home. And it went well. She was very talkative, very friendly. I've watched the interrogation videos. Her ability to remain calm and collected is uncanny and quite frankly, terrifying. Is that kind of a sign of a psycho? It, It could be. Okay. Also keep in mind that the city they live in is about 2,800 people. Oh, so they've met. So when Chief Frizzo was mentioning that they'd heard about her affair, she played it off. This is a small city. Everyone knows everyone's business. Mm -hmm. She said her and Chris would hang out at night together, have these nice dinner dates, cook dinner together. She'd go to his place. He'd go to hers. Because remember, she's in this open open marriage that everyone's cool with. 
quote marks. Quote she also claimed that Chris had asked her to move to North Carolina with her, which is a complete contradiction to her getting pissed he wouldn't be in a committed relationship with her. And then also and asking, telling her husband. And then also asking, I hope he didn't go without me. Chris didn't so ask things. you to go anywhere. Chris, Chris wants your ass to stay in the UP. He's yeah. going east. Again, she said she was in an open marriage. Her husband knew about the men. She said she loved Chris. He was a wonderful <laughs> man. And that's when Chief Rizzo caught she had said men. Chief Rizzo double-clicked into that. And Kelly finally admitted that this is because there were other men. Oh, I thought you I thought you slipped your words by saying men. It's like old school. I'm here for the gangbang. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, OK. <laughs> All right. I, I thought you were saying men to be to have a little. This joke is where there, our this shit. is where our love square comes in. <laughs> there was another man named Eric Erickson who also worked at this naval ship place. Can you really trust a man with two like first names? Eric Erickson. <sighs> Maybe easy to learn how just, to spell it in school. Just, just learn Eric and then add the son. That's what his parents are thinking. Let's make it easy for him. So she said that Jason, Eric, and Chris all knew about each other. Police brought up to Kelly the story that Jason had threatened to kill her and then himself. She defended Jason and said that her husband would never hurt anybody, Chris included. Hmm. That ends Kelly's interrogation. Now all it's right. Jason's turn. I'm ready for this the one. The circus is coming to town. Da, 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 da. Jason walks in and immediately starts bawling. <laughs> Always a good sign. Not a glistening ASPCA or Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin. Save the dogs, all the dogs. This is this is an ugly cry. He says he is not okay with his wife sleeping around. Yeah, because who would be? But Kelly said he was. So the whole start mm -hmm. from the very beginning, their stories, they didn't do a good job of having, yeah, of they, getting their they, stories. I was going to say they didn't have a pregame. We're like, no. all right, I'm going to say this. You're going to say this. He said he had been institutionalized a month before because he had bad anxiety. He then shared he went through a period of about 18 months where he couldn't work or have sex. So he decided it was better to let Kelly sleep around than to have her leave him. Was she responsible for his back pains? Like she like the pool company was. He I'm also said he knew about Eric. He said he knew about Chris. He stated on October 16th, then again, he had checked himself into a hospital. So remember a month before mm -hmm. he'd apparently checked in somewhere for anxiety. He said on October 16th, he checked himself into a hospital for five days because he was suicidal. Timeline, which we know now, at the time mm. they didn't. October 14th, Chris is murdered. October 16th, Jason checks himself in to use our tax dollars, <laughs> Michigan's tax dollars, because he needs help. Yep. And not mocking people who do need help. Totally get it. So the 16th, Absolutely. he checks himself in. He's there for five days, checks himself out on the 21st. On the 24th is when Terry O'Donnell reports Chris is missing. They ask Jason about the story. He had threatened to kill himself and Kelly, and he denies it. Oh, just plan. Just plan. After these interviews, they had dogs, infrared cameras, go out to the forest, to your point, if he'd been hiking, why did he yep. forget the knee brace? Yeah. Trying to find him. No, no progress. 
There's also an active bottomless mine next to the Cochran's home. The police thought maybe the body was down there. Regardless, Chief Rizzo is pretty quick on Jason's ass. Mm -hmm. As he should be. She's thinking the jealous husband motive. (laughs) Little does she know, though. They decide to look a little deeper into Kelly and Jason's relationship. And they pull text messages from two weeks leading up to the day that Jason was, or that Chris, excuse me, was reported missing. And these texts are not (laughs) pleasant. They're not love letters. Why didn't they use like WhatsApp? You know, that way they, they, they can't be public. Did that they know any? Oh, wait. Makes never me mind. feel good that you know that. <laughs> the texts We've watched were basically shows. Jason telling Kelly to stop sleeping around. She was saying, Jason, you're a dick and you never loved me. Just typical married <laughs> couple Normal banter. conversations, yeah. A Tuesday night. Both poets. Police visited friends of the couple to try to learn more about their love life. The friend said that Kelly had reportedly said that her husband was crazy and that he especially lost it when he found out she was having these affairs. He was going through her phone, very controlling, very jealous. On November 10th, Chief Rizzo decides to go to their house to talk to them again. The video I've seen at the house is really creepy. Windows drawn, like blackout shades. And what pisses me off the most is they have dogs. I hate when people like this have animals. I want to go save the animals. I, she wants they should all not, the dogs. All the dogs. My dream in life is to start a dog rescue shelter. I'm hoping Charlotte doesn't uh, perk up when she hears Hoping it. this podcast takes off so I can <laughs> make my dream come true. Chief Rizzo says, listen, both y'all need to go down to the PD and let's hash this out. Jason agrees to go first, and then Kelly's going to follow 30 minutes later. So Jason's in the car with Chief Rizzo, driving to the PD. How uncomfortable Very. to be in a vehicle with him. I don't know what you talk about. Let me turn the radio on and hope for Journey. I have yes. no idea. They, they get there, just, don't stop, yeah. believe. <laughs> if I was trying to turn the lights on just to make the trip go faster, yeah, yeah, like, just get me out of the car with this guy. We don't have to stop with these lights. They didn't make a lot of progress with him. Kelly came 30 minutes later. They talked to her. Oh, wow. She actually came through. She did. They both refused lie detectors. Days into the investigation, the chief gets a phone call. And it's from someone. So, again, we just have dead end after dead end. Mm -hmm. You can tell where they think this is going and where they're trying to build a case. But Oh, yeah. You can't just. They're looking in all the right places. But like you said, it's just not connecting. Exactly. Days into the investigation, the chief gets a phone call from someone and they say, it's Chris Reagan. Unfortunately, that was followed by Chris Reagan Jr., one of his two sons. He could not get a hold of his dad and didn't know anybody, so he called the police. They were working on mending God. their relationship and they were moving oh, to this was the one together. Moving. It's so heartbreaking. That Three is- months later, after You're the disappearance... So this son would have to come to town to pack up his dad's stuff because his lease was up on his apartment. And Chief Frizzo asked to meet Chris Reagan Jr. to give him his dad's dog tags, which I never figured out exactly why she had the dog tags. I don't know if they were collected in evidence. I wonder if they're le- still if they're just at the uh, if they're just at the house. Maybe you're in the car. Maybe they're in the car. Regardless, Chris Reagan Jr. told Chief Frizzo to keep the dog tags to help her find his dad. Oh. Police decide, 
let's try another angle. Let's talk to Eric Erickson. They go find Eric Erickson. And he says that he wasn't really dating, air quotes, Kelly. (laughs) Who was? He said that he didn't really know a lot of people when he had moved back. He had served in the military, had PTSD. Again, thank you to anybody who has served to protect our country. And their relationship started with friendly cigarette breaks. No. Progressed to lunch, which progressed to texting. He did say Kelly was super intense and moved really quickly. Oh, yeah. She had the green light. He stated they would go out on dates at places near the park and ride. Oh. To be clear, in a previous interview, when they asked Kelly if she knew about the park and ride where Chris's car had been found, she said no. But hold up. Eric Erickson is saying, no, no. She knows where the parking ride is. We that was the bone zone for us. Yeah. Oh, wait. We used what? to that go was there. Bone zone? We used to go there. Okay. You said she knew where it was. <laughs> I didn't know that was their bone zone. Hello. But wow. Way to go, Eric. I, I, hats off to Eric for not being like thinking with the other head and being like, no, she did this shit. In December, a new city manager started who's a total asshole, which will come into play again later. But about December, the city manager and the Michigan State Police were trying to shut the investigation down. They were saying he left on his own, that this case was causing too much money, taking too much of Chief Frizzo's time. She didn't agree. I can understand their concern just from a capacity and resource perspective because there are only four people on her force. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Twenty eight hundred, right? Twenty hundred people. However... From what I've read, this city was pretty desolate. A lot of people went there to get away from their troubles. There was a pretty high crime index square footage wise wow. for this place. It was pretty desolate. Not a real uh, I mean, you, you think optimistic it, place to live. That sucks because you think of usually of a small town like that is just, yeah, like you said, a place for everyone to get away and just like live their lives and just have a good fun time, you know? While the Cochran's had managed to remove all evidence of their crime. And and to go back real quick, Chief Frizzo continued to work this case on her own time. She would work stay after hours. She had a gut feeling about this and was not willing to give up on it, which I think is amazing. The Cochran's had managed to remove all evidence of their crimes and the case went cold. However, she was adamant And Chief Frizzo was finally able to obtain a search warrant for the Cochran's home on March 5th of 2015. When they approached the home and served them the search warrant, they asked if they have weapons and they stated they had a loaded 22 under the entertainment center. They were asked then to leave the premises, (laughs) which is customary during a search warrant. They were asked to leave the premises and they went to the neighbor's house across the street, which who the fuck wants these two at their house? Oh, they're searching your house. Yeah, sure. Come on over for a murder. And it was an an elderly woman (laughs) whose house they went to. And thankfully her son was there, which he comes back into the story later. Regardless, they go to this poor old woman's home while their home is being searched for murder weapons. Mm -hmm. And this house was an arsenal of weapons we are talking swords plural swords Mm. knives bows 
this is some Game of Thrones shit. So, so we'll not post nerf. photos. We'll post so photos. Not, not nerf bows and medieval arrows. axes. Ooh, axes was one of those swords uh, autographed by Randy Jackson by chance. Who's Randy Jackson? Oh my god, from American Idol. Come oh, on, why the fuck? Why would he autograph a sword? Step Brothers, because you cannot not have him I autograph. I can't stand that movie. I, I'm sorry if you're listening and you like the movie. <laughs> It is what it I is. I thought you would get the reference. I know. I'm sorry. Think it's funny. They did find cast off on the ceiling, which wait, cast wait. off, in case you don't know, is when you hit somebody with a blunt object and then you pull it back and the blood spatters. Okay. Thank you. So if I you hit somebody over the head ask. with a bat and then you go to raise the bat, the blood that like flies off the bat was on the ceiling. They searched this shithole for 12 hours. 12 hours. They did find a few things that they would send to the lab for testing. For DNA, however, there was nothing that constituted an immediate arrest warrant. Okay. They had to let the Cochrans back into their home. The Cochrans did not go back to their home. Why not? The Cochrans went on a road trip and oh, they bounced and trip. fled to Hobart, Indiana, where her mother lived. Okay. And how close is that to Chicago? I don't know. Well, they went to any, that's usually the. A couple hours. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that's a guess. The neighbors whose house they were at said they were not surprised they fled. Police <laughs> talked to them. They said they seemed very nervous when the police were, were going through their home. They said Kelly wouldn't shut the hell up. <laughs> Jason, who was normally that's very calm and collected, was beat red, freaking out. They asked the neighbors a bit more about the day Chris went missing, the last day. And they're using the 14th as the day he went missing because that's the last time they could find any activity on his phone, on his credit card. So that's where that day yeah, came that, from. That, well, that would be a good reasoning then. That's yeah. the benchmark they were using. Mm -hmm. They talked to the neighbors and asked them if they had any recollection of things happening that day. They said it was odd. They'd heard a gunshot and then power tools. They heard a door slam and someone yell, let's get the hell out of here. And a car backed out and left. They said for several nights after that, they heard saws, sanders, drills. The Cochran said they were remodeling, but this was at very odd times of the night. It was at that time Chief Frizzo put it together. And she said, I got it. I know what happened here. Now I just have to prove it. Yeah. Trigger warning, cannibalism. Oh, oh God, no. What? The neighbor also mentioned a cookout. No. The Cochran's had never had people over. And the Cochran's had a cookout right during this time. And he said that there was meat there that tasted funny and was nothing like they'd ever had. He said Jason told the neighbor he had been a butcher who specialized in exotic meats. <sighs> The neighbor said the meat was transparent like lobster or shrimp oh. and had a softest soft-ish, excuse me, texture. This poor man seeing his interview and him recounting the fact that he thinks he may have ate this person. Mm -hmm. It I uh, <laughs> I feel so bad for the dude. Oh my god. Months after this, so the Cochrans have left there in Hobart. Again, they're trying to build this case and they just can't get anything that constitutes an arrest warrant. Months later, Chief Frizzo and team did another search. 
of the Cochrane home where they found a book in the basement Jason had written called Where Monsters Lie. It talks about him being a predator, hunting his prey, the tingle he gets when he is about to strike. It's very eerie. It makes Stephen King look like a romance novel. The final chapter. (laughs) The final chapter talks about an unwanted guest coming to the house. They also found Mm. at the Cochrane home a rabbit foot under the front porch, which they called Terry O'Donnell and asked her if Chris had a rabbit foot on his keys, and she said yes. There was a fire pit at the Cochrane home. They dug through and found a button from jeans. It looked like a pair of jeans had been burned. They found the button in the zipper. They also talked to the neighbor next door, and he recounted that Cochran's had had a fire in the backyard during this time, and the smell was so horrific of what they were burning. So it wasn't just like rotten leaves? He went over and asked them what it was. They said it was just trash. He said, put it out or else I'm going to call the police. And that fire was out in point two. Like right out. Wow. Chief Frizzo flag. at this point was able to at least get a DNA warrant. Chief Frizzo reached out to the local PD in Hobart and asked them to help her execute a DNA warrant. She reached out to the neighbor across the street, the poor guy who thinks he may have snacked on Chris, and asked him to help her track down the Cochrans to serve this warrant. He reached out to them. Kelly told him they were at her parents' house. The police were able to serve the warrant. They take the Cochrans down to the police station to get their DNA. Here is one of the best parts of this interrogation. The Cochrans are in Hobart, and the Hobart police are talking to them. Chief Frizzo flew to Hobart and walked into the interview room, and you should have seen the look on their faces when they saw Chief Frizzo walk in. she walk in and just be like, hey! Kelly was pretty quiet, didn't really engage. Jason lawyered up immediately, well, was pissed, should. said that she was disrespecting his constitutional rights. (laughs) However, they did have the warrant for the DNA, so they had to give the DNA samples. They take the DNA samples, and that's where they leave it. And that, my true crime family, is part one of the story of Kelly Cochran, the devil woman of Michigan. I can't wait to hear part two and see where this goes. It will not let you down. I guarantee it. I got my fingers crossed. As always, we appreciate if you could please like, comment, subscribe, leave a review. Anything that you can do would be fantastic. We love feedback. We want to make this a great experience for you and for us. And as always, please be kind, loving, and respectful to yourselves and each other. I am the answer. I am K-Mac. Good Good night. night. That's it. Don't fucking worry about it, brah. It's your... Yours you have. Two. Those other two are from Saturday morning? Is it worth it? Let me work it. The number is 1-900-BAD-HUMAN. Would that work or is that too many? Oh, that... 
It's one too many because it's seven. It has to be seven, right? <laughs> oh, no, the reason I know this is a great promo. Is your dog joining your conference calls and <laughs> fucking up your career? <laughs> <laughs> Take up <a> tail waggers. <laughs> <laughs> that bitch needs to go to tail waggers. Does your dog need to get a goddamn job to pay for her bills? <laughs> okay. She's supposed to be your secretary. 